0: Welcome to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we're breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch the Sunday blues. Welcome to the No More Mondays movement. Hello and welcome to another episode of No More Mondays. As always, I am your host, Angie Callen. Challenges come up in all phases of our lives. It is almost a certainty. You know what? Take almost out of that sentence. It is a certainty. Life is not going to be perfect. But what if you were born with one of your biggest challenges? Today, you're going to meet Kevin Cassidy, a former Hollywood stuntman, schoolteacher, college and pro athlete, turned business owner, author and speaker. Any of those alone would be crazy inspirational. But when you consider that Kevin was born with a severe cleft palate that caused significant speech impediment and a whole lot of bullying, you'll respect his accomplishments even more. Listen as Kevin and I talk about rising above, making your mess your message, and how you can turn what may seem like your biggest challenge into your greatest victory if you're willing to fall down to find yourself. Kevin's going to tell us all about how he's forged a mentality that has led to his success, and I am excited to learn a thing or two from him today, as I'm sure you will. So I hope you will all help me welcome Kevin Cassidy to the show. Kevin, welcome to No More Mondays.
1: Thank you for having me. That was a great introduction. That was awesome.
0: (laughs) When I was going through your stuff earlier, I was like, oh, man, I don't know what to focus on because there is just so much to your backstory and even to what you're doing today that I'm like, man, how are we going to do this in like the 30 to 35 minutes? We try to make these these podcasts. But wherever this conversation goes, I know there's going to be some really great takeaways. And I think that we should start at the beginning uh, because that's really where your story does start. So. Kind of tell us about those early years, the challenges that you faced. I know the bullying was a big part of that and really how that shaped who you are and created the foundation for some of the successes that then came as an adult.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'll try to make a long story short, which I'm never very good at, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, So I was born in New York, uh, moved from New York to uh, North Carolina when I was 10 years old. So mom was born and raised in Queens. Dad was born and raised in Brooklyn. We moved to Long Island. I was born with a severe uh, birth defect, cleft palate. So I was just, there's a bubble around my nose and my mouth. There's no teeth, no roots in my mouth. I had to have a bunch of surgeries before I can even leave the hospital. And then I had to go through speech therapies. And today I could learn how to talk when every surgery would have a different kind of contraption in my mouth. I have to learn how to talk all over it again. And so that was one aspect I dealt with. And then that. Comp- He doubled on to moving from New York City to North Carolina in 1987 where I brought a bagel to lunch and no one knew what it was. I thought it was a really bad donut. Uh, (laughs) you're serious that's uh, hilarious uh, uh, (laughs) since bagels are on
0: every i mean they're eating in our house every morning
1: now now charlotte's a big new york northern hub and the banking's here and everything but uh back then there wasn't a whole lot of uh, northern influence down here so we were uh, blazing the trail down here i guess my family uh so obviously that comes with bullying and teasing and and all that stuff that most kids deal with at some level i was I would say I was lucky enough to have to deal with it since that day I was born. I knew no different. It was always something to kind of uh, attacked. So it was kind of in that way easier for me to always just every year I got a little bit better, a little less funny looking, and talked a little bit better. So I was always kind of making progress. I, so that, you know, looking back, always made it maybe a little bit easier. And especially for me, because it was literally on my face and how I spoke, I couldn't hide from it. I couldn't duck it. There, if you're a kid with a broken home or a learning disability, you can kind of maybe you know walk around it, but you no, know, it was something I had to you know you know attack face on. So that that helped me at the end of the day build out my character and what was really important. And and um, a lot of those lessons looking back that I learned have definitely helped me through life, go through transition after transition.
0: It had to be so frustrating as a child, you know, we're, we're trying to learn how to communicate already. And then you add on the fact that you're in surgeries and recovering from that and just all of that very interesting, unique things that happened during critical developmental years of your life.
1: Yeah, I think in ways it fast-forwarded some of it. It made me really uh, reflect internally a lot earlier than most people do. It made me shut up a little bit and listen a little bit a lot earlier than some people do. Uh, like when I would get teased or bullied, I would try to like, de-escalate it. But when I opened my mouth, it would just get worse because they'd make fun of how I talked. So I learned just to either keep my mouth shut or go all in and we're fight to the death. It was like one or the other. <laughs> Feast or uh, famine. A kid. Every kid learns... <laughs> that's right, yeah. And, and those, you know, critical periods of like middle school is probably the worst for me. Uh, you're learning anyway. The lines across, like a girl like me, she's not like me. Am I being annoying? You know, you, that's adolescence. That's learning that. And I was kind of fast forward to learn that because I was dealing with it years and years earlier. And that's by the time I got to like high school, I had a lot of that kind of dialed in socially and, and, and dealing with different people and personalities and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, it definitely heightens emotional intelligence at an age when you haven't developed that yet. And I'm, I'm curious, so you brought us in the timeline exactly where I wanted to go next, was how did all of that, how did you channel all of that into success? Because everybody out there, like, Kevin's got some chops. Like this guy's probably got an IMDB profile, right? Because I mean, you've done some really amazing things that people work their whole lives and dream their whole lives of doing, like breaking into Hollywood, eight Marvel films. We've probably all seen you on a big screen and not realized it. And and, and college and pro athletics. Like how did you take those struggles? And I would say a maturity that probably came out of those struggles and channel that into the foundation and the successes in those earlier years.
1: Well, I, like every kid probably, uh, you kind of focused on your strengths. I was a good athlete, and uh, sports was a good outlet for me. Like I was angry sometimes and lonely sometimes, and that physical football outlet and stuff really helped me as a young boy. And I was also always a writer, and I dabbled in writing the creative world, and I was in the drama club and uh, all that stuff. So it helped me branch out a little bit know my strengths and know what what I could really dig my heels into and, and be good at. Um And then it also allowed me to not take that many things too seriously. Like, hey, you got a job? Yeah, you don't, you don't. Nothing, everything rolled off my shoulders pretty good uh, my whole life because I dealt with some continuous, I call it trauma, but hardships over and over and over again. So things didn't really bother me too much. It wasn't, uh, things weren't traumatic for me. I never had really high highs or, or really low lows. I always was able to kind of roll with the punches pretty good, which helped me. Go through a lot of like rejection in Hollywood. It's a really hard thing to break into, and um, and life in general. So I, I think those things definitely, again, fast forward my development in, in those aspects.
0: Yeah, it's like you got you got that really thick skin, and it made it brought it, like the threshold for what really sucked in life was way higher than it is for a lot of people because you have a different perspective on it.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's well put. Yeah. <laughs> And again, that makes you a little bit happier.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I want to talk about that happiness piece in a minute because we're going to we're going to talk about the book in a little bit. But um, everybody out there who's like a Marvel fan and heard me say you're in Marvel films would be mad if I didn't ask. Which one was your favorite gig? Uh,
1: well, my first Marvel movie was Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man with Paul Rudd. And I was the uh, the bad guy stunt double, the Yellow Jacket. So everything in the Yellow Jacket supervillain costume was me getting beat up by Ant-Man the whole movie. Um That was probably my favorite because it was my first and we had a lot of creative um, freedom to create that character that I was um – playing pretty much everything behind this the the suit was me all the movements and could the guy fly could he not fly could he jump high he had his extra arms could he shoot people with him could he grab people with him we were choreographing all the fights and and building up the uh the script and how this guy was going to interact in the script and we were kind of inventing what powers he had dealing with the marvel people and so that was really interesting um behind the scenes development of the character that I was going to bring to life physically in front of the cameras. So that was the other, I hadn't had the opportunity. In the other ones, that was pretty cool. Pretty cool glimpse.
0: Yeah. That's a really unique because it, because you're the villain who you really only see mostly in the action scenes. You're, you're basically it which is kind of really cool. And then you got to go back to your drama roots, which I wanted to say something when you mentioned that you were in drama, I find it really interesting that even in middle school and high school, when we're the most awkward we are in our entire lives, you put yourself in places that kind of almost like created exposure for you around your, like your challenges and weaknesses. Like
1: uh, I've never said that was very smart. I fell down for a living for a lot of years. So <laughs>
0: Hey, it worked out and you're laughing at all of them. Yellow jacket.
1: Uh, that's right absolutely yeah no no for sure i i again nature and nurture who knows what what caused it but i never really cared that much i i enjoyed acting and the drama and the and the crew of friends that were doing that and the the drama teacher in middle school was awesome it was kind of like a good vibe on to be around so i just went for it and i just kind of have always kind of lived i don't know again nature and nurture my uh if I was never born with disability, but I've done still done that Would I've done it slower, I, you can't tell, but I used it to my advantage at least.
0: Well, and, okay. So you segued perfectly into something I wanted to talk about. Cause we're going to talk about your book a little bit. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I know you kind of speak to in the book is this idea of identity and the role it plays in happiness. And I feel like that goes back to this kind of like when you were younger, quote-unquote, not caring so much because you had a, a, a an identity that was rooted and you were confident in it, so therefore you could not care so much. So tell me more about that whole kind of idea of identity and happiness and just your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, identity in general, it's kind of a hot topic nowadays and in today's world, but uh, looking uh, writing the book and looking back and being able to really dissect it over, over years, uh, one of the reasons I was always... Basically a happy, a happy kid. And and successful in most things I did is because I didn't put much value in anything outward, anything external. My I didn't internalize being the bully kid. It never really sunk into my heart. Like you're the bully kid, no one likes you. I never put value in that, just like I never put value value in the fact that I was a Hollywood stuntman, hanging out with famous people all the time, doing Marvel movies. I left that really quick, just like I left being the bully kid. It never got to me at a deep enough level that, um, and I think. Because I was forced to look inside earlier because of my you know, birth defect and speech and bullying and all that stuff, I was internally reflected at a very early age. Well, a lot of people struggle with that you know, forever. They're always looking for external validation, external this, external that. Well, my external kind of sucked in the beginning. So if I want to be happy, I better look inside and, and be a good friend and be a good teammate and, and use my athletic prowess and, and build relationships that way. And that just became my default, and I became good at it. And then once I got good at that, I realized that's kind of what it's all about. Once you get that done in space, everything else is kind of easy.
0: It's such a good message and so relatable. If you, if if you all haven't connected the dots, all of you out there yet, this is very much in line with the struggle of imposter syndrome we hear a lot about today in the both professional and entrepreneurial world, and that idea of. And you know, social media, I dog on social media a lot. I use it, though. So, hey, if that makes me a hypocrite, whatever. But it's it has not helped this whole external validation that has always existed. I think it's only made it worse because, you know, we can therefore have a very tangible how many likes did I get that that equals my worth kind of idea. And so that's just spiraled a lot of this out of control. And imposter syndrome has become such a hot topic but I think at the very core, this is exactly what you're talking about, is being comfortable and confident in who you are and who you were made to be, regardless of what anyone else thinks.
1: Yeah, and I think, honestly, how you react to imposter syndrome is the key that I don't hear a lot of people talk about, because um, we're all kind of faking it until you make it. We're all imposters a little bit. We're all beginners. And if you have some internal reflection of, oh, man, am I good enough to be here. That means you're humble enough to look inside and be like, Okay, if I'm not, I better do you things right. So if you're react to your imposter syndrome in a humbling, let's work hard and prove myself, that's great. But if you're act to I'm just gonna gloss all this over with ego and narcissism and I'm of course I'm supposed to be here, screw you, then you're a whole different kind of person. So I think we all go through imposter syndrome a little bit as we level up or even level down or, or anything. But how you deal with that imposter syndrome says a lot about you and probably I don't say at the end of the day how happy you're going to be because those people who are super narcissistic, they're not happy people and you only get one life. The people who are more humble and internally reflected seem to be happier. And uh, when you get to the next level and you're like, man, should I be here? Am I in this boardroom? Am I in the right place? That's normal. You should feel that way a little bit. But double down with that with proving that you should be there and not you know, putting your ego out there so no one else challenges you whether you should be there or not. If that makes any sense.
0: Uh, That was the mic drop moment of this podcast. (laughs) It's literally that doesn't get talked about enough so much that I've never actually had that conversation. And I think it is such an amazing thing to think about that imposter syndrome can actually be a good and a good thing if you can figure out how to use it constructively, just like any positive, like all emotions have a positive and negative. All situations have a positive and negative. And very much like your whole story, you could have just played the victim your whole life and shrunk and said, eh, I got this thing. It's, it defines me. It's my identity instead of turning that around and figuring out how to use it for your own success and like the greater good and impact, just like that idea of if you have imposter syndrome, it, it does have some truth, but it's how you take that truth and and spin it and what you tell yourself about it. I love that idea of imposter syndrome has some validity. If you're, if you're ever going to do something you've never done, there's some imposter syndrome there. However, you can channel that into I love that idea of like the humbleness and the awareness of then what you constructively do with it and grow from it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was just. And I, I mean, we've all been there. We've all had and I think it has a negative connotation when most, because most people do think of, oh, imposter syndrome. This guy is not supposed to be here. He, he's the mole or he's the black sheep. But I think it starts before that. And then maybe it's called something different before evolves to imposter syndromes. Maybe I I jumped over some definitions and we can define the beginning of imposter syndrome as something else. But uh, it's definitely something there, I think.
0: Well, and it's totally this is just a funny thing. It's totally like a misnomer because it's more of a condition and not a syndrome. But that's a whole like psychological conversation for another day. Um, (laughs) So So your book, I absolutely love this title. It's called Your Book is Falling Down to Find Yourself. Uh, I know I can definitely relate to that idea of like you hit the low, but then it ends up being the foundation that all of the kind of, you know, blessings come from. And I'm curious in where that that specific like title inspiration came from. So for you, was that was there a breaking point like there was a fall that helped you find yourself and rise again? Or do you feel like it was almost like that culmination of life and looking at hindsight and all the things that really informed it?
1: I think a little bit of both. There's two or three pretty big major falls in in my life. And then I dealt with those falls better than most, uh, presumably, uh, because of my background. And, oh, actually, I've been through falls at this a lot or consistently growing up. Um, And, again, the fact that it didn't put too much power or value in the fall or identity in the fall or kind of fell back on that my default uh, was able to get me out of that fall way quicker than – than, than most people. I was, uh, I got wrongfully arrested in college. I was playing college baseball and, uh, I got thrown in jail, was facing 25 years of life for a crime. I didn't commit. They slammed the door and they said, well, see you in five years for your trial. Good luck. And I lived in jail for two weeks without even talking to anybody thinking I was going to be there the rest of my life so that was another internal reflective moment um luckily i wasn't two weeks go by and i'm out and they, they expunged all the charges i had to sign the nda saying i wouldn't sue you know for defamation of character and all that but i lost my scholarship got kicked out of college because of the bad press and again long story short that was a pretty big pretty big fall And i was you know on the uh on the pro scout list and i was doing well and all that kind of went out the window after that experience so uh there's a uh, but again, there was, there was no currency back then in the victim mentality. Now there's a currency in it. Now there's a value in it. My parents, in the book I call, I love my mom. She's awesome. We just had her 80th birthday at my house last weekend. But um, she's not painted great in the book in the beginning. Um, She's lovably oblivious, I say. And to this day, she goes, I never knew you were being bullied. I'm like, Mom, I didn't have a face. I was in junior high in a rough school.
0: Yeah, but you're right. We weren't. <laughs> so I think you're I right. There wasn't as much awareness around this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and she never treated me as if I was, and if I was bullied, she'd be like, "Figure it out. You got, I gotta go to work." You, you know, and there was no, um, again, there's no currency. There was no nothing you could do with it. So you're you're forced to just be like, "Well, oh, I guess I'm, I can't be a bully. It was never an option." And now it's like almost people are selling that option to people, you know, just for their more clicks and their more lights or their more whatever. And also, getting away from bullying nowadays is impossible because. You take it home with you on social media. If I had a Facebook account in like junior high, I would be bullied 24 hours a day. There'd be no break. But in my junior high, it was like maybe 25, 30% of the day, bad days or 50%, good days or 0%. And I got home and no one brought it up and you know you go out and ride bikes and you're a normal kid. But now it'd be hard to, to step away, to, to grow like I did with the internet and social media and all that stuff. So that was a little tangent I went on, but that's where my head went.
0: (laughs) Well, but I think it's related because I think if you wonder, like if you stop and think, I wonder if mom's loving obliviousness was actually a huge blessing.
1: Absolutely. Because it
0: forced forced you to find your own coping mechanisms, be independent. You didn't have somebody to complain or kind of whine to, which would be easy. Uh, And, you know, you had to like figure it out. I'm sure parents out there are like today are like, oh, but uh, yeah, I, and I am also side note, my tangent, really happy. I graduated college before social media came out. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we don't need any of that to be documented. Um, so all of this stuff has supported kind of the next phase that you're in, which is business Ninja Nation Huntersville, killer name in uh, helping teams and individuals and a lot of youth work through this kind of stuff. So talk to me about that work and also kind of how this concept relates to the real world and professionals and all the things.
1: Yeah. So I was in the movie that was 18 years, almost 18 years in the movie business, and I loved it. Young man's game. I was in London and Prague on Spider-Man Far From Home. I was there for about four months. I came home one weekend for my daughter's birthday, flew right back to London, and it was just—I just I couldn't be a father and a stuntman because in Hollywood they own you. It's eighty, ninety hours a week, hundred hours a week, nights and weekends all over the world. So I was ready to leave Hollywood, and I had a bunch of business plans written. So I've always been like pulled to mentor and coach, and now with eighteen years of Hollywood stunt credits and everything, I have a pretty good hook to actually have people listen to me and. I uh, worked all that into you know the my story of my birth and all that and all those hardship. So uh, when COVID hit, movies stopped filming. And I said, okay, well, I need to make money. I want to leave movies anyway. So let's open a business. In my stunt career, I knew a lot of uh, American Ninja Warriors, parkour athletes, uh, Red Bull athletes like skydivers and motocross guys and, and the whole random world of random athletes in the stunt world. And I really gravitated towards like the X Games guys, the motocross guys, the parkour guys, the ninja guys. Because they just had a really cool community. They would lose a race and hug the guy who won and really care and love the guy who won. I mean, you don't see that in, in other sports. So I said, no, I'm going to do a business like that. I uh, I was researching other companies that were doing something similar. I couldn't get an insurance number. No one would insure Ninja Warrior or parkour stuff. And a company in Colorado, actually, uh, outside Denver, uh, was the Ninja Warrior place. I went out there, visited them. They were just starting to franchise it and they wanted me to open up one of their franchises. So we, we decided to, to build one of their, I'm the second ever franchisee of Ninja Nation. Uh, now there's two franchises and 10 more being built around the country. So I'm helping build that brand. And I'm sure every new franchisee who buys one, I talk to them about business ownership and pros and cons and oh, cool. investment and where to go with it. And I'm able to kind of like develop new programs that work or doesn't work. So we can copy and paste that through the other locations. So I'm kind of at the tip of the spear of a new franchise and a business model that I Pretty, very similar to what I wrote.
0: What a great match. And also, what a great, like, melding of, like, all of your experiences. But that's, that's like, yeah. now, but that business is going to run itself. So now you can go do the other things.
1: Exactly right. So once the business is kind of up and running, I've always had presentations written. I always wanted to do, be a speaker and tell my story to kids, even if it's only kids with cleft palates or only kids with deformities. And then it just as well be all kids because everyone has... And if it's not physical, it could be emotional, it could be, who knows. I had all these presentations written about stories in my life about Hollywood, philosophical paradoxes that kind of like weaved into the story. And when COVID hit, the business was running. There was a lot of downtime in the business because the general contractor had to do this next thing and nothing else could happen for like two weeks. I had to wait for the bank to get back to me. I had to wait to this guy back. So I'm like, oh, keep writing, keep writing. So the end of that, the book was almost done and uh, the book got published end of September. And now the business kind of runs itself. And now I'm on to the book and the speaking and uh, writing curriculum around the book, going to schools and, and sharing the message, bringing that message into the gym, obviously with the kids who I have, I have in there. So kind of hitting the both ends of it.
0: Uh, Kevin is what we like to call a, and I stole this term from a from a TED Talk, a multi potentialite. And you have found a way <laughs> to leverage. All of it. But I want to make an important practical kind of observation here is you didn't try to do all of that at once. It was a it was kind of like building blocks. And because if you had tried to go do all of those things, it would be overwhelming. So just from like a straight up business perspective, you're adding you're adding layers to kind of. But but it all still relates. And it also relates to your story, which is the super cool thing, is that you can have a brand that's got multiple different kind of little avenues under it, revenue streams even. Um, that might not seem related, but you can you can find that kind of common theme and tie them all together and then you stack them all together and then you've got your empire going on over there, Kevin. <laughs>
1: that's right. It's all built I love around. The, if you're passionate about it, then you'll be happy to do it. So it was all things I was passionate about and the business got off the ground and doing the franchise really helped because they had the website done. They had the POS done. they had the marketing material. they had the Facebook optimization. They had all the things I was going to school at not literally, but YouTube school and just you know, entrepreneurial school of how to do, and how to best do. I was going to run wrong three or four times to figure it out. So my time was more mine because I was involved in the franchise. that actually helped me do the other things as well. But you, know, you definitely can't do 10 things great. You got to do one and then build on it.
0: Well, and in this situation, you find a way to not, you found a way to do exactly what you really wanted to do, but you didn't have to go reinvent the wheel, which is super smart. So good creative solution. In your in your, as, yeah. as Kevin takes over the world. So if you're taking over the world, <laughs> let's help everybody else out there do the same. Well, I'll take over the world together. So I would love to because your like your story alone has got a great act like practical advice in it. But let's give everybody some just good pointed tips. So my first question is, what specific advice do you have out there for people who kind of are facing these circumstances where they feel Debilitated, or they've fallen down. They can't figure out how to get up. Can't find themselves. Like, what's a good first step for them to take?
1: I think a lot of it revolves around uh, living under your means. If you're a slave to how much money you need to make, then you're going to be trapped by your job, and your and, and then your your options are going to shrink and shrink and shrink. And that that little window to crawl out of is get smaller and smaller and smaller. So, if if you really hate your job and need the money, then you got to find a way to either do a side hustle sell your house, get a smaller house, get financially free. Because once you're financially free, then you can be creatively and professionally free and you can do something that you're going to be happy and probably make more money in the end of the day if you want. Not that everyone's money motivated, but getting out of that. I think living below your means has allowed me to just leave teaching and pick up and move to L.A. and figure it out. Again, I was young. I didn't have a family. So once you're if you're older with a family and builds responsibility, it gets a lot more complicated. But you can still do that. You can still... Cut down your bills and you know, side hustle and see the long game five years from now. Cool. I'll, I'll live in the townhouse, not a house, but I'll be able to leave this job and, and and have more options. So I think that's something people think they can never get out of, but they can.
0: It's It's a choice. Let's just be honest. Hard truth, everybody. You're choosing not to make the change. And this is you just hit so many. I'm going to get on a soapbox for a few minutes. And since it's my podcast, (laughs) I'm allowed to get on a soapbox. I just wrote a blog article, Shameless Plug, about like nine things to consider before making a career change. And I think number two is get yourself financially fit, because I have worked with people who come in and they say, I want to do something else. And by the time we go through all of the parameters and life needs, they can't quote unquote, won't make the financial decisions or give up elements of a, of a quality of life to put themselves in a different pr- different position or a different like pay bracket. And I'm not saying you have to make a pay, take a pay cut to change careers, but you have a whole lot more options if you've got yourself in a good financial position and you're preaching to the choir because you're talking to somebody who, who convinced my husband to build a tiny home inside of a bus that we lived in for four years so that I could funnel all of our money into career benders. So point made, Kevin. I <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: love it. A well ahead. Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, all right. So we know Falling Down to Find Yourself is a great book recommendation. I would love another read or two that you think is a great suggestion for people around this topic
1: you first career second because you got to build yourself up to be happy and be good at a career like the the teachers i'm coaching and talking to nowadays my the happier you are the more fulfilled you are internally and more fired up you are about life the better teacher you're going to be and then that and that happens in every in every aspect of career as well but really tangibly for me for education um so a lot of the books i read are are um, biographies or like um Ego is the enemy. Ryan Holiday, Stoicism stuff. I read a lot of Stoic uh, philosophy. Um, and then books like um, uh, "The Art of Not Giving an F." Um, those kind of uh, those kind of books are the ones that I, I kind of tilt my focus on. You know, the person over. And now the person is my brand and my business. So I guess that makes sense. But Kevin and
0: I have the same bookshelf. That shocks none of us. I don't think as soon as we came on, because you guys all know there, I can see him even though you can't um, dare to dare to lead is in the, in the, and I'm like, okay, we're going to get along. Great. <laughs> um, but there's two or three really good suggestions in there. And if you don't love to read this kind of stuff, I will actually throw out a recommendation for an app called Blinkist, which is super cool. I'm going to date myself. It's basically podcast meets Cliff's Notes. And in 18 minutes, you can listen to a digest of highlights of a book as an audio file. So um, that's what I do every morning on my way home from the gym. And I've loved it. And then that way, if I really like the highlights that I'm hearing and I want more info, I can actually buy the book. But I pretty much can't buy any more books. My shelves are full.
1: (laughs) Um, So
0: I I like all of those. We're going to drop links to everything that Kevin has suggested, including his book, on the show notes uh, at mondays.info. So you can pick all this stuff up there. And then, of course, all right. So this is the this is the last on the spot question. But this is a show about how you can like Mondays more. So what's the first word that comes to mind when I say Monday?
1: Uh, right now it's school because kids get in school and I have some time to do some stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> like being in Hollywood for so long. <laughs> Being in Hollywood for so long, there were no Mondays. You worked weekends and nights and all over the world and it's calendars. It didn't matter. There was no, I was never into a nine to five kind of Monday Monday blues kind of vibe because Hollywood is just 24-7. It's 24-7 or seven blues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're
0: either full on or full off. So in a way, it's actually kind of nice yeah. that now you've got the ability to create a routine and have Mondays. So, welcome to Mo- welcome to Mondays, Kevin.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> the routine is great. That's something I'm I'm, I'm forcing myself to do, which is, is a, something I've heard on some podcasts and uh, a guy I follow. I read his book, Jesse Isler. He he wrote Living with a Seal, and uh, oh, he, yeah. a guy named David David Goggins, uh, that whole world. But uh, one of his things is do something hard every day, and I think people don't do that. So one of my um, uh, habits is to do something hard, to challenge yourself, to put yourself in a position to fail, to humble yourself, do something hard, and then the rest of the day won't be as hard. Kind of like microcosm of my life, like, hey, it was kind of tough getting beat up all the time, but that made...
0: But you did it fail, anyway. ...a little
1: less hard. Yeah. 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 Take a cold shower. Wake up an hour earlier. Small things. Uh, then once a month, or once a quarter, he does something really hard, like Ice Everest or something stupid like that. But you can do a little bit in hard to challenge yourself a little bit every day to 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 build that resilience. I think that's something that because so easy to be lazy. The world it's is easy. in kind of air conditioning.
0: It's it's easy to be. I would say comfortable.
1: Comfortable. Absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. And what's that cliche? Because and I think cliches are things for a reason because they're usually true. That yeah. nothing growth doesn't happen inside the comfort, in the comfort zone. zone. Yeah. So there you go.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So.
0: Ooh. We're gonna ask you. I have a feeling I'm gonna really like what's coming up next. Uh, Not to put pressure on you, but (laughs) as we start to wind things down, which makes me sad because I have about 20 other things I want to talk to you about, uh, I first would love for you to tell everybody how they can find you, follow along your journey, book you for speaking, get the book, all the things.
1: Uh book, Amazon, everything. I have a website. It's kevincass.com, K E V I N C A S S and all my speaking I'm starting to write a little substack articles, like five minute little reads about some of my philosophies or whatever comes in my head. You're always kind of towards this you know, personal growth mindset. Um and all that's on my website. So and my speaking gigs, and I'm writing a curriculum around the book. I'm working on a children's book as well, the children's book version of the book. But I something I just started, so I'm researching the to-dos on that, and I think that'd be a good fit down the road. Um, could happen faster, who knows? But everything kind of gets dumped onto my website right now, and I, I'm constantly reorganizing it and focusing it on uh, uh, on what I'm what I'm doing.
0: And it is linked, everybody. So if you're looking for a great <laughs> stocking stuffer, Falling down to find yourself could be excellent for the reader in your life. I love it. Um, I have so many ideas on things that I want to do with like what to do together because of your perspective on things. So I have a feeling all of you no more Mondays and career banders fans out there. Haven't seen the last of Kevin Cassidy. And as we wrap up this first conversation together, I would love to know what our listeners could do to get one step closer to career satisfaction.
1: Uh, I said, do the hard thing. Wake up an hour early. Do some little thing hard every day or every week or every month. Put it on your calendar. Do one thing that's going to challenge yourself. Get your, Force yourself out of that comfort zone and that will translate into career, which will translate into life and, and, and everything. It'll just make you a little bit better every day or every day you do it or even knowing it's out there. My wife just signed up for the uh, half marathon in Nashville. She's like, oh, oh gotta no. you got to do it now. And guess what? She'll be better for it. And uh, so now she's trying to talk me into it. So it's kind of hard for me to say no after all my uh, soapboxing. So. I was gonna, just going to say, <laughs> oh, good luck getting out <laughs> yeah. of that
0: one. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to reiterate that because I think it is an excellent a piece of advice and one action you could take. And it's easy to just... You know, if you I was telling a client this yesterday because we're trying to get him into a routine, funny enough. And I was like, add one thing to your routine this week, add another thing next week and then stack it. Because if you just try to like it's like the whole cut, quit smoking cold turkey thing. It's just if you try to change everything at once, you're going to do it for three weeks and then you're going to stop. Whereas if you slowly add things on, you will actually see incremental change. Inching yourself forward actually does get you somewhere. Snails move, everybody. Snails move.
1: So (laughs) uh, I love
0: this idea of like, add one hard thing to your schedule every day.
1: Yeah. Tangible takeaway. Uh, And you'll feel pretty good immediately. It's pretty good. Everyone wants that instant gratification nowadays. And that's something that has it not as much as the dopamine on a Facebook screen, but it uh, definitely has some instant gratification. You definitely feel better. We're more accomplished for it.
0: And a whole lot healthier than the dopamine on a Facebook screen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, this has
0: been an amazing conversation. I am so excited that you are finally officially part of the No More Mondays movement because I feel that you embody it top to bottom. And I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your experience and your insights with us today because there is some exceptional advice here. So congratulations and thank you.
1: Thank you very much. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, this has been so good. We always love hearing from people who have navigated career and life crossroads, done some really, really big things, and then in Kevin's case, decided to leave the big things behind for a career option that supports life better. So there's been some great advice and inspiration here. I hope all of you took some notes and we'll tune in again next week for another episode of No More Mondays. In the meantime, for all of you out there listening, I would love for you to subscribe to No More Mondays. Leave us a five star rating because Kevin and I are awesome. Go buy his book in the show notes uh, and everything that you do to support our podcast is a huge help as we continue to inspire confident professionals with amazing stories. And if you would like to leave us comments, feedback, drop a guest suggestion, or grab all the links from today's episode, visit us online at nomoremondays.info. See you again next week. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your professional life and find career satisfaction. Don't forget, visit us online at nomoremondays.info for all the details, show notes, and recommendations from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders Inc. in partnership with executive producer, Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com.